Welcome to Living with a Disability, No Big Deal. This podcast is for people who want to learn how to thrive with a disability. It is also designed to share insights for those who have friends or family with a disability. Brad Gabrielson, our host, was born with cerebral palsy and uses a wheelchair for mobility. He is a North Dakota native and believes life is about managing challenges with understanding, mental toughness, and determination. Welcome to another episode of Living with a Disability, No Big Deal. Last week we talked, last time we talked about a, yeah, um, selecting rams in part two with a, with a gentleman named Howard, Southern Minnesota Independent Living Center in Mankato, Minnesota. Today we're talking to a, a parent of a, of a daughter who has but anyway, she's a good friend, and she's also my attendant. She works for uh, Easter Seals. Let's get this party started. Well, good morning, Brad. This good is morning. Greg, of course. Greg Mall joining the show as well with Brad. And so, who? So, what's the name of our guest, Brad? I just call her CC. Okay. Well, welcome to the show, Cece. We're very fortunate to have you today. So, Brad, you said the uh, discussion would, would revolve around a disability that her daughter has. Can you just explain a little bit about what the disability is? Well, as, as, far, as, I, as far as I know, she's 21 now, and she is... Um, I, the reason why I know that is because one day they were here, we were just here, um, we had a little get together and she sat on my wheel on my lap and she, and she wanted to drive my chair and uh, she, um, she couldn't see anything so I had to put my hand over the <laughs> controller. She didn't like that too well. She was upset with me and all that, but... Um, she wanted to do it herself, huh? Oh, yeah, she's very independent. So, I'll let CC explain what kind of disability she has because it's a rare condition. I think there's only a, a, a very few in the country or the world, for that matter, uh, that has this condition. Or a form of this condition. Interesting. So, yeah. What What is the name of the disability, and and what actually does it involve, CC? Anthelia plus syndrome, and oh. it's absent of the eyeballs. Okay. Okay. So, Brad, you said it's a pretty rare condition. So, as I mean, there's likely not millions of people or maybe even thousands that have the condition then? I don't believe so. Tabitha was the second child born in the United States. And so she's 21 now, is that correct? Yep. Okay, so that she's lived with the condition since birth then would be a correct statement. Yes. All right. Well, can you describe a little more, bit about... It's getting more common. So now like there's like one in about 250,000 
that are born either with amphthalmia plus syndrome or micro amphthalmia plus syndrome. Oh my. What's the, what's the difference? Amphthalmia plus syndrome, you don't have no eyeballs. And microphthalmium, you have just the whites of the eyes. No pupil, no iris. Does it affect your hearing or anything? No. Does it, it, it doesn't affect the hearing at all then, huh? No, Tabitha's, her hearing is affected only in one ear because she is self-abusive with her condition. I understand, okay. So what are some of the symptoms or some of the side effects of having that condition, CC, as far as like you just kind of had mentioned self-abusive? How does that, how do symptoms like that play into it? Um, the self-abusiveness, dang, um, they don't believe came from her syndrome, but it's unknown because there's not very many people that know about her syndrome. So a lot of things are just speculations. She has so, like severe mental retardation with it as well. And a cleft lip and palate, which is part of the syndrome. And cranial synostosis is part of the syndrome as well. Now what's that last part, uh, cranial, about the cranial? It's when you're born with no soft spots. So your oh. head is fused together as a baby. Oh, okay. So the soft spot that is normally would be there is just non-existent then from birth. Yeah, they have to have surgery um, within the first five months of life usually, or they pass away. Because their brain has nowhere to go, so it squishes. Oh, okay. So does that involve fusing then, that area of the, of the, of the uh, cranium? Um, when you have cranial synostosis, all your bones are already fused together when you're born. So they have to go in and re-break them and reship them all. Oh my. And that's done as a very young child then? Between birth and five months. Okay. When did Tabitha have this uh, corrective surgery done? Five months old. Oh, okay. Uh, just a follow-up question there. How soon after birth uh, you know, it's a very rare condition, so uh, I'm sure not your average birthing facility is going to have the resources to determine this. How soon after birth did they know that uh, Tabitha indeed had a condition? And then secondly, if that it was actually determined to be the condition that she indeed has? About four days. Her four. pediatrician, the pediatrician that had her was very, uh, very good, very good doctor. He was an older doctor, so he did a lot of different researches and then contacted the Mayo Hospital in Minnesota. And they came with the answers for the diagnosis. So Mayo had a, had a part in that, which of course Mayo Clinic is uh, the top top of the echelon for that yes i've been wondering um uh, has her condition affected the family dynamic at all it's very stressful it puts a bind in a lot of a lot of families and whether or not families stay together when you have a child as severe as that oh. 
Oh, is she on any medication? Yes. <laughs> so quite a bit, I suppose, right? Yes. Yeah. But they're not, she's not on medication because of the syndrome in itself. She's on medications because of the, to control the self-abusiveness and um, behaviors that come with anybody that's blind and has severe MR. Now, does Tabitha, are, do you, is there, are there siblings involved as well then in the family that? Uh... She has an older sister um, on her dad's side that lives in Wisconsin. She doesn't have no communication or contact with her. Um, as far as I go, no, um, there's no more coming from me. Okay, so uh, Sabatha essentially was an only child then, is that, would that be correct? Yes. Okay, so there were no siblings to uh, to enter into the dynamic and and kind of play a part or in some way have a support network there. I'm sure that it was uh, quite a difficult situation with having a child that has a disability that, you know, not only just affects the eyes and uh, but also the mental capacities and stuff so what uh, Tabitha is now 21 years old uh, of course she lives at home is that correct yes okay um, what is the mental capacity of Tabitha is there like a um, something to compare it to as far as a range of capacities like age-wise yeah, like, is there, do they somehow attribute an age to the capacity of her, her, her mind at this point? It, it varies. Some things um, that she can do are, you know, that of a eight-year-old or, you know, a 10-year-old. And some things are um, that of a toddler as far as, like, the throwing the tantrums and, and throwing herself on the ground and kicking. Oh, Okay. Or that of a, you know, of a toddler. Um, is that is that a condition that are the the mannerisms and the the activities? Some are some activities are an eight year old and some are of a toddler. So is that pretty random? I mean, as far as exhibiting the different types of behaviors. Um, kind of. Or are there things that trigger those? Or you just have to pick your battles. Ah, okay. On what, you know, what's more important, you know, as far as like, if she doesn't want to self-feed, then don't force her to self-feed because then it triggers behaviors. You just, you know, you go ahead and feed her yourself. You don't, so you just have to pick your back. Okay. All right. So how yeah. Was, um, how her Picking your battle certainly would be similar to that then. Now with that, is there any type of learning activity or education in some way, or how does how is that handled with Tabitha? She attended the Ann Carlson Center from about age six to thirteen, and then she uh, was kicked out of the Ann Carlson Center because of her behaviors. And that, of course, is the Ann Carlson Center in Jamestown there that uh, 
that Brad went to as uh, in the past, it was called the crippled children's school. So in the end Carlson center now, it seems like they more specialize. Is that correct, Brad? Yes, I would say so. It's a lot different when, when I go down there and get my chair work done. <laughs> um, you have to wear a badge now when you come in. So I think Ted was saying one of our past guests that they handle more of the autism spectrum. Yes, they do. There's not a lot of physical disability kids that go there anymore. I don't know if it's, they don't have the ability to handle children and such, or um, it's, it's hard to say because they specialize in a lot of disabilities. So. And I think the, the disabilities like ours, they're, they're mainstreamed in the high school anyway, so. You know, yeah, more mainstreaming, more integrating and, and such, Brad, like you said, so. Right, right, yeah, so. Quality of life is to have the able to enjoy. She does about anything. I don't, uh, I don't treat her any differently. She, uh, she used to bull ride sheep down in Mexico. Oh my gosh. She drives four-wheeler. We just surround our property with hay bales. Oh my gosh. I don't, uh, I don't really treat her much different. Um, so I tried to let her enjoy as much of her life as I can. Well, that's fantastic that you've been able to kind of normalize uh, some activities. Uh, certainly the, uh, <laughs> The four-wheeler one makes me a little nervous, but like you said, uh, it sounds like you've taken taken action so that she's in a safe environment while she's doing it. So she must have some type of awareness if she's t if she's on that four-wheeler. Maybe it's is it spatial awareness of the of the environment then that she's able to do that. She she can do it pretty much. I mean, she did it. Um, after my husband passed away, we moved in with my mom and dad for a while down in Georgia, and she was doing it on their property as well. Um, it's hard to say, like, how she can do it all. I don't know, because um, she can't see. So when you come at, like, if you try running past her or walking really fast, she will stick her hands out. And uh, how she does it, I don't know, but she will always grab you. Is that right? Yeah. Well, certainly her senses are are heightened and more keen with uh, living with no eyes. She doesn't have any experience of what it is like to see. So, having that extra that extra sense, that sixth sense, uh, probably does come into uh, come into play like that. It sounds certainly like she's a fairly strong uh, individual and has become to a certain extent independent. What is the extent of her independence, uh, Cece? Uh, well, she, she'll never be able to like live by herself or anything, but she, uh, she gets dressed by herself as long as you give her, you know, her clothes. Sometimes she'll go help herself to clothes and, you know, find something that she wants to wear on her own. So she does get dressed like that. Oh my. Um, 
she does feed herself for the most part. Um, all food has to be pureed. So we just stick it on a tray so she can fill the tray so she knows where her bowl of food is. Oh, okay. Is that been since she, since she learned like a typical youngster how to feed herself? Has that been kind of the case since, since she was young then? Um, she was taught with like hand over hand assistance. Oh, okay. Okay. Like any sign language is all done. Was taught by hand over hand assistance as well. Sign language. Wow, that must have been an incredible challenge, that sign language. Yeah, it, right now she does signs that I I don't even know what they are. Staff has taught her, so I have to relearn them as well. Good Lord. No, without having sight, and of course you have hearing, how is, how is that activity taught? I mean, I know you said hand over hand. Uh, is that's is that the only real way to do it because of there is no sight? Yes. Wow. So that's definitely a process to teach all those uh, phrases and words. Then, so. Um, quickly. Pardon me. She catches on quickly. So, what is her speech uh, uh, like with this condition? She does not speak. Okay. Uh, she, she does say like mom and dad, but you have to really listen to hear it. Um, other than that, she'll just, you know, grunt or yell, whine. Okay. So she has ways of expressing her feelings at the moment then that are pretty clear. Oh, yes. <laughs> Is there any research that you're aware of? No. There's no organization that's doing research like the multiple sclerosis or, or... I have never heard of a research for Anthelia Plus Syndrome in the 21 years of Tablet's been alive. I, I suppose because of the, uh, the rareness of the condition there, maybe it hasn't met the threshold for any type of research or maybe there's something going on where they're just maybe monitoring or I don't know, maybe they're sharing research or something. How often does she have to go in to see the doctor then? Is that just like any normal individual or quote unquote normal individual? Yes. I don't take her to the doctor very often. Well, especially now because I don't want her exposed to no viruses. Um, so she does some, some doctor visits. She just does over um, Zoom. Oh, okay. Um, but very, she doesn't have to go to the clinic for like sickness or anything like that very often. Wintertime is a little bit more tough, but not too bad. So in other words, just the typical uh, time frames that any other child or not, young adult, I should say, that would go to. And definitely in this time where there's uh, the COVID, uh, the Zoom definitely helps. The telehealth which yeah. they seem to have everywhere now, so. My experience with Tabitha over here with, with your dogs. Oh, okay. Like Interesting, sure. Mm -hmm. So it's a comfort level. Mm -hmm. So she feels comfortable with you, Brad, evidently. Yeah, around, around the house, yes. She sits in a, 
and uh, that big uh, lazy boy chair that I have, and she's sits in there sideways. Okay. We, I used to have a, a mastiff named Marty, and she used to lay and sleep on him for quite a while. And he didn't, it didn't seem to bother him at all. So, so the mastiff, evidently being a service, a service dog, it was a well, a he, wasn't, dog. he wasn't a service dog, no, he was just, he was just friendly, and kind of a partnership dog, yeah. I mean, but now she has her own service dog, so oh, she does have a service dog, yes, and so. Zeus. Zeus, yep. Zeus. Now, what type of dog is Zeus? A yellow lab. Okay. It seems, Brad, that uh, from what I've seen in your friend that raises and, and uh, train service dogs, that yellow labs seem to be pretty common in that. Yes. Um, I think they're easier to get. I mean, I think they're easier to find. They're the most, most easiest dog to train. Well, the masters ain't bad. No, but coming from somebody that trains for disability dogs, um, a yellow lab is one of the smartest dogs to train. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely have a good demeanor with people and a, and a good personality. And, I mean, they make fabulous hunting dogs as well, so that's probably a reason. But, yeah. The availability and the and the willingness of the dog to learn and its abilities to now this is it um, now there's service dogs Brad we did an episode and then there's therapy dogs is the dog a service dog for Tabitha he uh, he will go and fetch whatever she needs like if she wants a cup and she throws it he'll go and pick it up and give it to her um, she carries around a hospital mask all the time um, he goes and retrieves that her shoes. Um, <clears throat> he alerts when she, uh, tries to escape out of the house. She does escape out of the house. Um, so that's what he is for. So Zeus will, uh, kind of be the guardian as well, really. Yeah. What does he, does he, is he like Lassie where he comes and finds somebody or does he bark or? He barks and barks and barks. Okay. Come on over here. Something's up, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, how long has she had a service dog? Um, she has, um, Zeus is about, going to be two years old. Um, but she did have a golden retriever um, when we lived down in Texas and in Mexico. Oh, so she has had a service dog in the past then, in her, in, when she was younger. Yep. All right, so you were down in, uh, so you've been around. You're not, uh, you haven't been in Jamestown all your life, but are you from Jamestown? No. Okay, so you were, you came from down south then in that Texas, okay. New Mexico area? I'm from Grand Forks. No, uh, I moved down to um, Piedanegas, Mexico um, when, my, when I met my husband. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, what about, let's talk about, you know, the social aspect of it as far as friends or playmates. Is there, uh, with that condition, I'm sure it's difficult to get, a, it would take a very special kind of person with a special heart. Are there, are there any, able to be any friends or playmates or is the condition not allow such a situation? 
Um, she plays with her cousins a lot. Um, they live here. And we have kids at the house quite often. Her staff has two sets of twins. So they are at our house and they play with Tabitha quite often. Oh, wow. So she does have a pretty good social network then. And she's not just um, alone in the world, so to speak. She's got people who are more her age then. And I would expect probably they understand pretty closely what's going on in the situation and are able to relate to her now that they've learned. Yeah, they know how to tell what she wants and what her signs are. Okay. Now back to the dog quick. How uh, how does she, how is the dog made aware of what she needs? Is that something that you tell them and she goes and gets it? Um, we taught Zeus that, um, started doing that with him at uh, 10 weeks old the day that we brought him home. So you, you picked up on all that stuff from when he was, when you, when you first brought him home, like go fetch a shoe or go fetch a... Only Tabitha's shoes. Only them with her shoes. They won't pick up your shoes? No. Well, if you asked him, then would he do it? No. <laughs> Have you tried? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So. I've even tried to go get him to get me a bottle of pop off, off the, by the table. <laughs> you tried to cheat, huh? You <laughs> won't do it. You won't do it. No. It's absolutely it incredible. You'll do it for Tabitha, yeah. Yep. That's a good dog. How is she? How is she to travel in the car with? Like if you took her on a long trip, well, the last time you, cake. last time you went home, there's the parents in Georgia. Which did she enjoy? Did she enjoy the ride? She just sits back and chills unless she has to go potty. That's about it. Oh, okay. She's traveled, you know, back and forth between North Dakota and Texas, and North Dakota and. Uh, Mexico so many times that she just goes along for the ride. Is that right? So that doesn't bother her, those long rides then? No. I mean, we, we don't travel a very long periods of, at periods of times. Like, we, we push it about eight hours a day when we travel far, just so are she there, can get out of the car. Are there any... Um activities or anything that she does to kind of pass the time in the car or how does that um she plays with toys um okay something to pass the time anyway along the along the way yeah torments who's ever in the passenger seat picks on everybody else in the car <laughs> does uh did tabitha learn braille then no she would never put her fingers on the braille keys. Oh, okay. Okay. Lana, so, Lana Slaby tried that um, starting at the age of three, and she never would, she wouldn't do it. She just, uh, just didn't have the desire to even put her hands on the braille then. No, she didn't like the texture. Is the dog always on the clock? Or, well, I know Brad said that when you put the vest on, probably doesn't even wear a vest. I don't know in your case, but that the dog is on the clock and there's no personal activities. Is there a time when the dog is actually off the clock? Um, the, Zeus wears a vest during uh, work hours and he is not in a vest off of work hours. 
That's just like my dog. When I come home from work at five o'clock, um, I get done with work and get home about between five and five thirty, and the dog's vest comes off at that time. All right. So then the dogs, uh, what you described, Brad, Brad, is the dogs, you know, personality changes where. Oh yes. <laughs> at least, at least, um, Bo did when I had him. At least they get more hyper. Oh yeah. Oh, they have that pent up energy, I suppose, huh, Brad? Yeah, but, yeah, we're free now. We can do what we want to. We can be a normal. Oh, adult. sure. I mean, Zeus still does his things uh, without being told. Like if Tabitha grunts or if he wants to play, then he'll go and bring Tabitha stuff, like his toys that he wants to play. Is that right? But usually I take him outside when I get home and uh, I run him outside for a while. Oh, okay. So he gets some of that energy as uh, an outlet for the energy. But certainly their mentality changes when they are off the clock, doesn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is that, Brad, what about Bo? What, what experiences can you tell us about him? When well, Is he similar? Oh, yeah. When you, when you dig up his harness, he just wanted to lay down like a deadbeat on the, on the, on like a, on the floor or on the bed, like if we're in a hotel, he lays on the bed. You couldn't get him to move out there if we wanted him to. So that's why that's why Amber always um, slept with him because you couldn't move him at this at this spot. Oh, is that right? Yep. And they are quite—they have quite a keen sense of awareness about. I don't know how they are able to do that with those dogs, but they're aware of the individual themselves. And does that come just from, uh, from the training or being around that individual or what makes that connection with that service animal? We trained Zeus ourselves with the help of, uh, one of our sheriff sheriffs here in Stutzman County. Okay. Um, is there any involvement with, uh, with Tabitha in this case, as far as, being around during the training or? Um, yes, it was done with Tabitha at all times. Okay. The service dog is nearly two. How old was the service dog when you actually acquired it? We got him when he was 10 weeks old, when he was able to be weaned. And then did you have to raise it as a normal dog until a certain age? Um, no, we started playing fetch with Fetch with him um, with ducks first to see if he would, would be able to retrieve anything. Oh, yeah. Uh, because he was, his bloodline is hunting because he is a registered AKC dog. So we started with the little hunting ducks and then we graduated after that to sippy cups and Tabitha's toys at that time. Wow. So he got right into the training right off the bat as a little shooter. So yes. Is that typical, Brad or CC, as far as when or what, what age that dogs are typically brought into the to the training regimen? Well ten weeks is um sometimes they could be a little young, but in this case just retrieving and doing it over and over and over again, they think of it as a game at the very beginning. I mean, okay. 
So they're going, oh, I'm going to be getting a treat or something, you know, if I do this. Um, so um, as far as that's concerned, but it all depends upon how how in, how in depth you want to get, you know, if you wanted to get um, help them take your shirt off or whatever, the dog can do that too or cover her up and, when she's in bed. Wow. I've seen dogs do that. So. We've never we've we've never rewarded Zeus with uh, treats. Oh, is that right? No. no, he gets treats now, you know, off off the clock. But um, when he first started playing fetch as as a puppy at ten weeks old, we were told by the sheriff that also uh, raises dogs and and does the training for dogs um, up at the prison up here. Um, and she says, do not. Um, told us not to do it with treats um, because, like Brad said, they'll start to think that as a game. Yeah, basically. So we just praised him. A lot of praise because the more you bring them, you know. But but it also depends upon, too, like I said, how depth you want to get into it and you know, how deep and stuff. So, yeah. Well, um, what might you tell other disabled people, parents with people with disability, similar to your daughter's condition, what might you tell them? Yeah. It's uh, a long road. <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's tough and you have to, uh, you have to be fully committed to to raising a child that you know will never will never live on their own. So, um, me as a parent, I will not uh, put my child in a in a group home setting. So she will remain living with me um, for as long as I can. So it's a lot of uh, commitment and a lot of hard work. Definitely a venture of uh, of love, and definitely takes a. a a special person in order to do that because it's like you just described it's not an easy uh, chore to raise a child with a disability and uh, Brad we kind of touched on that on some other podcasts as well um, a lot of patience yeah it takes a person that has an extra big heart a lot of understanding to be a parent of a disabled individual you get frustrated a lot but you have to walk away you know it's 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 no different than on some things on raising, you know, a, a child without a disability. You you still get frustrated at times. Um, yeah, that's for sure. You have to, like you said, pick your battles and just have that extra patience and know when to just kind of walk away and yeah, they're, uh, they're, have a they're cooling more off period. Yes, they're more vulnerable to be to be abused or to injured. So you just have to walk away. I don't allow very many people to uh, take care of her. There's like two. That is it. Well, that was my that was my next question. That uh, you know, who, how is the caretaking taken or handled when you're not? Obviously, when you're working, there must be somebody there. How is that handled? Is staffed through Easter Seals, um, the agency I work for, and her staff is family. So oh, this is okay. Of her life. And like Mondays and Thursdays, she goes to her father's house until I get out of work. 
Okay. Does she take the service dog with her or at that time or since she doesn't need it, since there's individuals, people there, he's there? No, the dog stays home. It's just for, it's a time for just her and her dad to bond and do what they do. Oh, sure. You know, maybe write down the name of that disability so that we can actually share that because I'm not even sure I know how to pronounce it, but if it's in writing, then we can better able delineate what that disability is. And then Brad can share that with me. I can do that. Do you have any other thoughts, Brad, or any questions you might have uh, to kind of wrap it up today or? No, I think you're pretty well covered and I think you need to drink of water. <laughs> Uh, I want to thank you, CC, for uh, for being a guest today and telling us about your daughter's disability and condition. Yeah, thank you for sharing that because it, uh, you know, a lot of people would not want to share such things like that. But thank you for your openness and willing to come on the podcast and uh, just relate the what the situation is. I think it's a learning time and brings awareness and that's kind of what the program wants to do is just bring perspectives and provide insights so that was uh, very appreciative of you to come on the show today thank you you're welcome that is another episode of living with a disability no big deal podcast and we'll see you all next time thank you very much and god bless Thank you for listening to this episode of Living with a Disability, No Big Deal. Sponsored by Rollaramp, this podcast features Brad Gabrielson, who encourages everyone with a disability to live life to the fullest. Rollaramp is a global company based in North Dakota, dedicated to helping people find solutions to accessibility needs. We hope you'll join us again next time on Living with a Disability, No Big Deal. 